Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jan Price Show, and today my guest is director Richard Gray, and we're talking about his latest film, Robert the Bruce, which I absolutely loved. Loved everything about this film. So welcome to the show, Richard. I'm very excited to talk to you about this movie. How are oh, you I'm doing today? Too. I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Absolutely great. You surviving being in quarantine? Uh, a little bit. The homeschooling is, I just found out I'm not up to scratch with a year two grade two uh, geometry. But other than that, Uh-oh. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning all the time. <laughs> you're learning the same way. Yeah. <laughs> good. <laughs> See, that's good. See, you're learning things you hadn't, you've forgotten about. <laughs> so that's <laughs> all good. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say it's, it, I, I thought this movie was just stunningly beautiful. The cinematography is spectacular. And, um, and, and like the sadness for me was, because I believe all movies should be seen in the movie theater. The sadness for me was that, this isn't going to be seen in a movie theater, unfortunately. So, I mean, are there any plans maybe later to re-release it or something? Is it still- yeah, it's been bitter, bittersweet because we got to premiere the film in, at Edinburgh Film Festival last year, and then we traveled the film throughout Scotland and the UK, um, and it was amazing to have it there on the big screen because, as you mentioned, it really was shot for the big screen. Um, and we're planning on having 600 screens actually starting on the 16th of April and then 20 city rollout starting on the, you know, yesterday on the 24th. But it hasn't worked out with this virus. Um, however, the positive thing is we get, we're told that a lot more people are watching a lot more content at home. And so maybe this is a way that a lot more people can get to see the film because we won't be lost with other you know, blockbusters at the cinema. So if it leads to more people seeing the film, then that's ultimately a good thing. And we're definitely planning on some theatrical events later in the year. We're actually going to be working alongside Braveheart and their 25th anniversary. Um, but that fell through as well with the virus. So anyway, we're happy it can be on every platform. You know, it's on every platform now. Um, and so that's a positive. That is a positive. That's the one thing. And, and I agree with you that a lot more people will be finding the film right now because everybody's looking for more content to watch while we're all being quarantined and uh, they keep extending the time that we will be quarantined so uh, it will be good that people can see it and many people have these big huge you know home screens on at home anyhow so uh, it will be beautiful on those big home screens let's let's I, I, it is interesting that this is coming out at the same time as the 25th anniversary of Braveheart because it is a wonderful companion piece and I would definitely recommend uh, people watching both watching maybe Braveheart first and then watching this because it's a beautiful companion piece to that and you have um, Angus McFadden who played the same character in Braveheart as he's playing right. in this film Robert so, the Bruce. yes Robert the Bruce so uh, just so our our listeners know um, do you want to give us the uh, the plot line of the film so they know what we're talking about here yeah, so if you use Braveheart as a reference, which is good because so many people saw the film, it's hard to believe it was 25 it years ago. It makes us all feel old. But um, the yes. the of course, at the end of the film, um, after William Wallace died, you see uh, Robert the Bruce riding off to war at, at Bannockburn. But what the film didn't cover was there was a long distance in between William Wallace's death and the Bannockburn battle that Robert the Bruce um, won and won Scottish, Scottish Scotland its freedom. Uh, so what we concentrate on, he actually lost war 
after war after war with the English after Wallace's death to the point where Scott didn't even necessarily believe in him anymore. And he was seen as a bit of a loser king. And that's what made this story so special because it was something that I hadn't researched and studied before. And it was kind of lovely because the this, this story is about the orphans um, and the widow that kind of saved the king of Scotland and sheltered him through one of these awful times when he was on on the run. And it was that side of the story that made us think, well, we can do this because, you know, I was scared to read the script, which Angus worked on for over 10 years, because you're wondering, you know, what is this going to be like and how could it possibly live up to, to Braveheart? But it's such a different story um, and an original piece that we were so excited by it. We knew we could, we knew we could jump into it. It, it, so it is a true story. Well, it's based on a true story. The history of that time, the history of that time is very hard to research, particularly when a lot of the English, the history books uh, are written by the English at the time. And mm-hmm. he was, of course, an outlaw. But what we do know is that he was on the run um, for a long, long time and that other Scottish clans were actually hunting him down and were siding with the English at the time. So we know that he took shelter and we know that he was injured. Um, and so our story takes place over a winter when he's sheltered by a family who eventually smuggle him or attempt to smuggle him up to his northern army. And we knew, and we knew we know back in the day that that uh, is the sort of thing that would happen. So that was where the story came from. Mm-hmm. It's it. I love the way you start this film um, with uh, Anna Hutchinson. Is that Hutch? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh, being the narrator and telling the story to her children. And um, again, the, the, the lighting, the cinematography, the everything about this film is just stunningly beautiful. Um, and the, the way that the, again, it's a, a, it's a big film, but yet it's very intimate uh, at the same time where you have this, these relationships that take place that were unlikely, unlikely relationships. That's exactly, exactly right. And so it's hard for a family because you're talking about, in Anna's role, um, a widow who lost her husband to one of his losing battles and, you know, three orphan children that lost their fathers to his losing battles and to keep faith with him and to support him when they could have given him up for a reward is what makes the story tick. Because, you know, of course, back then, the king was something that was meant to come from God. Um, and once Robert lost the faith that he was that chosen one, it sent him into a spiral. But it's this family's con- uh, conviction and their sacrifice that gives him the confidence to try try one more time, which is, it's it's great to see a war film or a historical drama film told through the eyes of characters you don't, who don't usually get a mention, I think. Exactly, exactly. And and that it gave him the, the strength, as you say, too, to go back. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. physically the strength, because she, uh, this wonderful woman helps heal him back to health physically as well as emotionally because he was spent. He was ready to give up mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. wanting to do this anymore. He didn't want any more people to die. I think, That's right. so, you know, so all these people continuing to die for him and his cause, or, you know, their cause too, obviously, mm. that he, he became renewed by them and their experience and gave him the strength and the energy to go on. And so that's, I mean, that also, that again, that, that shift, that internal shift that takes place that uh, is so beautiful because, you know, so many times, I think a lot of people are probably feeling that right now in, in life with everything that's going 
going on with the quarantine that they feel beaten and and uh, and lost and and ready to give up. And um, it's that one little sparkle of a of a light, like a candle, uh, one candle that lights you up again and and makes you persevere and, and go forward. So it's got a beautiful uh, metaphor and beautiful story for today as well as for then back then. I agree, and you know the spider, the the, the story of the spider is on a biblical level for Scottish people. Um, and the Scottish kids grew up hearing the story of Robert the Bruce who was injured and beaten and sell, uh, was in a cave and was hiding in a cave and was ready to give up. But he watched the spider in these really awful conditions continue to try and try again to make this giant, beautiful web. And the story goes that that was his, his inspiration to, to leave the cave and, and try again. And that's when he met the family in our story. So it's a big story of hope and sacrifice because, of course, Morag, you know, sacrifices everything, but she knows it's for the good of the country, which is some which is some kind of sacrifice. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then and all what she had to do and her children and everything. It was just it's really beautifully done. So I was uh, now how how was that real snow that wasn't CGI snow? Oh God. It was so cold. And I'm a, <laughs> I'm Australian. And so I I had thankfully made a film in Alaska during the winter before so I was a little bit prepared was, for it. Are you like because because people, I don't. Yeah, my crew keeps saying my crew. My crew keeps. You know, when I call my crew now, they say what time of year. That's the first thing they ask. Because <laughs> I because I sold this, them to this on. You know, we're going to Scotland and we're going to Montana. It'd be great. They're like, what time of year? And so and so it was. It was usually about nine degrees um, <gasps> and freezing, and so. What that brought to the film was was beautiful um, because, you know, we it was between, you know, five and twenty five was average kind of oh my temperature. God. But it, it added so much to the film um, because when we talk about the sacrifice and the family and the peasant fa- family living in this croft, you got to see what it would have been like. It also made the story make sense because you would understand why somebody could hide out on a farm like that because certainly nobody's coming coming searching in those conditions and with so all that snow we were really worried with the cg and continuity with the snow but we didn't need to because it was just there with us the whole time the vapor <laughs> breath coming out of active yes. mouths as well is something that yes. we often think about in visual effects but something we didn't have to worry about um, and we built all those sets um they weren't like film sets they were built from stone you know how they should be look historically but of course that meant there are no windows and the only heating source was coming from the fire within you know within the croft but what it led to was such an experience for the actors because i think it was easy for them to get in character it was so horrendously cold um but it was incredibly hard work for them and the uh, uh the crew of course and you know i would get in the car with my dop like 5 a.m pitch black in the middle of winter and we drive 45 minutes out to set behind the plow truck and then we had to get to a point in the road where we had to chain up the vehicle and we'd get down under our car using the iPhones as light as we're chaining up the, the car to get to set. And we would look at each other with the iPhones and say, screw you. Like that was the first thing we'd say to each other every morning. And then we'd get to set, we'd, we'd get our coffee and we'd slowly warm up and then start smiling again. And then we'd go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's that, I was thinking, oh my, you could see, I, I thought this is real snow. This isn't CGI mm-hmm. snow. It's real snow. Mm-hmm. And you could see that, you know, every but their noses were getting red, mm-hmm. ears, cheeks, blue, everything. blue lips. Yep. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, I, I, I hope you didn't do a lot of takes. No. And so it really was a learning experience because the, the good thing about the weather was there wasn't 
there wasn't very much daylight. So we knew we had to protect the actors and the crew. So we could never shoot long days, even if we wanted to. And the conditions that we we're in, you know, shooting nights wasn't an option uh, for a lot of the locations. So the good thing was we could really, we became really efficient with the planning to really get in and out and get the actors in and out. Um, but it, we learned a lot, um, but we learned to concentrate on story and, and maybe the camera plan went out the door for a day, but but because of the location, how beautiful it was, it was really more about capturing what was best for the script. Well, it is beautiful. Did, did, you, shoot, did you shoot those scenes in Montana, the winter scenes in Montana? Yeah, com- combination, because we got, we felt a little bit lucky and blessed throughout the shoot. We we had a guy called Shores Wallace, who's the descendant of William Wallace, and who's in Braveheart, and he's a historian for the time. And we brought, we, he was one of the first people we hired because we knew we had to film in the US as well, Scotland. And so we, we would send photos back and forth from him, for him, and then he was on set every day in the US. So he would kind of tell us, well, this kind of looks like Glencoe, and this could be Sterling, and this could be the Isle of Skye. And then because we, we knew we were shooting Scotland after the US shoot, we could adjust, we could watch all the dailies and then pick Scottish locations that, that tied in. Um, the other good news was the UK was having its worst storm in 100 years called the Beast from the East. Oh, and we, okay. we kind of felt lucky about that because we <laughs> literally flew from Montana um, to, to a very snowy and hardcore Scotland, but it actually suited us um, really well. And so the, the snow scenes are both in Scotland and in, and in Montana. So you were fortunate that you... Very. It didn't feel fortunate on set. <laughs> but in retrospect, in retrospect, it was, yeah. It's very fortunate. <laughs> well, if, if, if snow is fortunate, I love snow. I love snow. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. I miss snow. Um, yeah. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Jam Fry Show all about movies. And today, my guest is director Richard Gray. And we're talking about his latest film, Robert the Bruce, which is a, a companion piece uh, to Braveheart. It's a beautiful movie. And Angus McFadden. So tell me, he, so he he was in Braveheart playing the same, playing Robert the Bruce in Braveheart. Um, what made him decide that he wanted to write the rest of the story? And you said he worked on it for ten years. Yeah. So when he he did a lot of research for Braveheart, um, and as we know, the ending of that film with Robert the Bruce charging off in Bannockburn, kind of c- continuing to carry the torch that he and James Douglas did after William Wallace's death there was this huge part of the Robert the Bruce history that wasn't wasn't told in that film and quite fascinating um and so he always wanted to tell more of that story but his script changed from wanting to be a big action piece to wanting to be this much more personal story and I think that was the ground that he needed to break through with writing it with alongside co-writer Eric Dalgao and I think once they found the, the story of the family and humanized people like James Douglas who are known as just you know Scotland's heroes. Um, once he found the human side and the hardship side of it and started concentrating on the loss of war, I think that's when he found a, a story mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. more special. Yes. And I think that's what, what, and Anna actually was working, who plays Morag, was working with Angus in the UK on another film. And that's how this came to be because Angus was telling her about the script. And Anna said, Well, Richie, my friend Richie loves Braveheart. <laughs> so you should get it. You should get it to him. Um, and that's how it happened. But I was scared to read it, but pleasantly surprised it was such a different, a different story. I was going to ask you how you became involved in this film. So it was from your friend Anna Hutchinson yeah. uh, that told you about the script. So why were you afraid to read it? What was it about the script? Well, I was afraid, you afraid to read it. Well, I was 15 when Braveheart came out and I just started making short films. And 
um, Mel Gibson at the time in Australia was a god, like an absolute god. And so when you're a young filmmaker coming up and you know it had to be an independent film and we knew the budget we had to work with, I was scared that it wasn't going to be a story that would fit. The last thing you want to do is do some pale comparison uh, right. or some right. weak version. But it was so completely not that. Um that's how we got excited. I remember seeing Braveheart in the cinema um, um, many times. And so uh, when I met with Angus, I think it was in Culver City, I met with Angus for the first time with Anna. And I just finished reading the script for a second time. I was just so happy that it was something that we could all look at each other and go, oh, no, we can do this. Um, and it was different. And that's what I think um, when we played the film in Scotland, I think that's what people really responded to and hopefully here in the U.S. as well now because it's a, it's a side of things you don't usually get to see. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I say it's a really good companion piece to Braveheart. Yeah. You know, it's a juxtaposition, you know, in the sense it just it carries the story forward but in a wholly different way. Mm. So you're not competing with Braveheart and trying to be a Braveheart, you know, mm-hmm. Braveheart 2. You know, mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> it's not the mm-hmm. sequel. Uh, no. So um, at all, at all. So um, for you, uh, what was, I mean, I know, I'm sure shooting in the in the cold and the snow and all of that was the most difficult thing. But what, what else was difficult about this shooting, this film? How long did it take to shoot it? Five filming shooting days in Montana and then just over two weeks in Scotland. Um, and we always shoot five day weeks. Um, I know you know independent films so well, and often we get told to shoot six-day weeks. But in my experience, it's never a a rewarding experience for the crew or the cast or, for that matter, the final product, and particularly in these conditions. And so, you know, you just can't work six days a week uh, in nine degrees and, and hope for a really great result. So we really try to put all the money on the screen and shoot for as long as we possibly can because in these conditions, you you need the time because you might not be able to get to the location one day. And the last thing you want to do is start compromising because of, because of time. Um, so we had a, a, what I thought was a really healthy filming time. And we all lived together in the same hotel and we rehearsed together. And the costume department was one ballroom and the props department was another ballroom and the, a stunt coordinating, you know, rehearsals place was another ballroom and there was one restaurant and one bar at the hotel and it was really such a fun awesome experience mm-hmm. um and we what what i've been doing for years is particularly on indie films and indie budgets is on the weekend we kind of have a family day where we invite family and friends and the crew and the cast to come watch the dailies you know we have a few drinks and eat and watch the footage but we don't mm-hmm. watch boring us five hours of uncut footage we had an amazing editor on this Haley, and she would put together like a, just a 10 minute music video montage of the best stuff and it has su- it's such a rewarding experience when you're busting your ass and you're freezing cold to sit down on a weekend with your friends and watch the footage and go oh okay i see what we're what we're doing here and then you go into the next week kind of recharge because you you know you're thinking about the shot you might get up on the next weekend um and the hardest thing was horses period costume stunts and fight sequence sword sword fight sequences on ice and snow that's something that i haven't done before um and that just took a lot of um it was very educational um (laughs) but as was you know getting the lenses not to fog up and the camera department doing an amazing job of of learning what it's like when you're bringing glass from you know a 70 degree tent to nine degrees outside and so we really kind of all learned together about the conditions um but it was really really rewarding. Well, it sounds like, you know, I love the, the camaraderie and the way that you described, you know, how you film, because I think it's so important to recharge your batteries again, you know, to get, get ready for the, you know, the, the next week. And if you don't have these two days, 
you know, oh. to reach her. One day's not enough time. Well, you just wash your clothes, and then the vast majority of people are hungover. So <laughs> if you have... If, that's, if you've got one day, that's the outcome. So if you've got two days, you can actually start getting into a creative mode again before you go back to work and not just dreading going back to work. And it's so important. Exactly, exactly. What we, I told you before we got on the air, before uh, we started recording the show, that um, since we've been quarantined, everybody was telling me about Outlander. And uh, actually, prior to being quarantined, I had a lot of people in the beginning of the year uh, when I went down to the Santa Barbara Film Festival and then Sundance. And it was funny how many people were coming to me and go, you've got to watch Outlander. You haven't seen Outlander? So, you know, when we get... I, became quarantined. I binged watched uh, Outlander. And I think because it's been on Netflix, uh, a lot more people have found it. And uh, then I subscribed to Stars to see the rest of the, you know, catch up with season four and five now. But you mentioned you're good friends with Sam Hewen and you wanted him to be in this film. What part did you want him to play? I'm not, I must preface this to say I'm not good friends because I hate when, when okay. you know, you overemphasize. But you I did make a, a film with Sam in LA and he's oh, an amazing film. guy. Um, and I would say his friend so it's a tiny little um, indie film that I'm not sure what they ended up calling it. I think it's called, you might have to edit this, although you don't edit your shows, do you? So no. there could be big troubles here. <laughs> um, so uh, it was an indie film in L.A. Um, and he was just such a pleasure uh, to, to work with and just so humble. And, of course, they film a lot of Outlander in the U.K., um, but the timing didn't quite work out and it was the same with daniel portman who was in the film um uh who's from game of thrones and he was shooting the final couple of episodes of game of thrones but was lucky enough to get a couple of weeks to come out and and film with us but um sam is such a humble beautiful guy um we'd love to work together again in the future and actually we're planning on doing a james douglas film because you know between william wallace um robert the bruce james douglas is probably the one the third guy that just as big in Scottish folklore and Scottish history who hasn't really had uh, his own film. Uh, mm-hmm. He actually was Robert the Bruce's best, best friend and carried, Robert the Bruce died and he carried Robert the Bruce's heart uh, into battle in the Crusades uh, where he died. Um, and both his heart, James Douglas' body was returned home and buried. So James Douglas definitely deserves a film as well. So maybe there'll be some, there'll be some, if this film if all goes well, if you guys go, uh, go out there and watch it, we might be able to do it again. Well, I think it's very exciting. You know, I think what's happened, as I started to say, because of, uh, again, there's a big, huge uh, fan base for Outlander. I mean, it's just amazing. I had no idea. You know, so this is like a whole new world. But um, people are really interested in everything that has to do with Scotland right now. Oh, yeah. I think so. And it's it's it's. It's they're so proud of it um, in Scotland in the UK, and it's such a great and well-made show. And I love when shows like on those channels come to Netflix. We experience the same thing with um, Hell on Wheels because we're working on a western right now, and not a lot of people I had thought had seen that show Hell on Wheels. But then it went to Netflix, and I think there's four seasons. Then suddenly you've got this new fan base. I think the same thing happened with Shameless, right? When yeah. Shameless finally came onto Netflix, and then you know people go back to Showtime to watch the new stuff. But at least you've got this new core audience which is really exciting well, i think a lot of us are all helping each other and saying hey what are you watching what do you <laughs> what do you exactly. recommend you know and it's it's very it's very interesting because i am seeing things too that i had never seen before and probably wouldn't have invested so much as much time in but now i have the time so it's really been kind of fascinating and and seeing some really interesting movies too that one hasn't seen well i i, I wish you much much success with robert the bruce i everybody please where is it where can people find it uh, that's the great news about the 
one great thing about this virus is every every place that you get your movies from iTunes to any VOD platform to Google Play to Amazon, you can find it um, anywhere. And we'd love to know what you think. And I think in the next couple of weeks, I'll let you know, we're going to do some Twitter live kind of watches with the actors. Oh, great. Uh, you know, with Emma and uh, um, also Zach McGowan, who's fantastic. Angus, obviously, Anna. Um, all the cast. We're going to do some live watches, which will be fun. Oh, we'll that would be fun. Please let, please let me know because I'll also tweet it for you. Oh, I'd so love that. I'll get it out there. So, oh, Richard, I, it's such a joy talking with you. I look forward to talking with you again on your next me film. Too. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day and stay healthy. Stay, yeah, stay. you too. <laughs> If you have missed any of the Jam Fry shows all about movies, you can hear all of the past shows on iHeart's podcast network. And if you have a smart TV, you can also listen to the shows on your television. Thank you for listening today. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. 